Recently, I, I heard about a sad story, somewhat, about one of my heroes, someone for whom I had a lot of respect and admiration for, uh, that she had come down with cancer. This lady uh, brings a lot of inspiration to people. Her name is Johnny Erickson. Many of you know her. When Johnny was 17 years old, she was in the Chesapeake Bay area, swimming there with some friends. And she dove into the Chesapeake Bay, and it was much shallower than she realized. And her head hit the the bottom there, and she fractured her spine. And they brought her to the surface and took her to the hospital. And she was paralyzed from her shoulders down. She went through a lot of depression and heavy discouragement. I almost put a picture up here for you uh, to see her. But if you were to see her countenance, her countenance just glows. She's a happy person. She's a sweet person to hear her talk. Uh, she's a joyful person. She lives in a wheelchair and in her bed. Uh, she cannot walk. She's a, a very gifted painter and, uh, and a wonderful, wonderful writer. She's written 40, 40, maybe over 40 books, at least 40 books. And God has given to her a, a, a tremendous ministry. I want to read just, uh, and this is just very brief, but just a couple of quotes from a few of her books to let you know something of her heart that uh, she has cultivated, that the Lord has cultivated uh, through her adversity. This is what uh, Johnny, a couple of sentences from some of her books. This is what Johnny said. She said, my wheelchair was the key to seeing God's power Since his power always shows up best in weakness. So here I sit, glad that I have not been healed on the outside, but glad that I have been healed on the inside. I've been healed from my own self-centered wants and wishes. And uh, in another place, she says, my weakness, that is my quadriplegia, is my greatest asset. Think of that. My weakness, my quadriplegia, my greatest asset, because it forces me into the arms of Christ every single morning when I get up. And then she wrote this. She said, contentment is an internal quietness of heart. I like that. Contentment is an internal quietness of heart that gladly submits to God. In all circumstances. Here's a lady because of the things that she's been through. That has God has given to her some some wisdom. That in some situations only comes through great suffering. Now all of us go through adversity. We all experience pain. Um, There are different degrees of pain. Different degrees of suffering. Some people suffer more than others. But here's the, here's the principle that what you do and how you respond to your pain determines how happy you will be and also to how God will use you. You're going to have a problem. That's not the issue. You're going to have trouble. The Bible teaches that all over the place, Old Testament, New Testament. But what you do with your trouble and your response to your trouble It's going to determine how happy that you are and also how God uses you in this life. Why is it that some people are consistently happy in spite of their limitations, in spite of their trouble, in spite of their suffering? And some people are consistently miserable in spite of positive and comfortable circumstances. Now, we could just pause right there and, and take out a little three-by-five card and write down names of the first category, people that are consistently happy in spite of some negative things. You know people like that. And then on the other side, you could write down names of people that are just miserable all the time. And they have They have a good life. Yeah, they have some... Some tough things, but comparatively speaking, they have a good life, but they're so negative and they complain. Is there a secret to happiness? 
This morning, I want to give you one of the great secrets to life. And I, I, I mean that. I'm not manipulating you with words. I, I have conviction about this. I mean this. I'm excited about this message because this will help you. This is not something that I just came upon in recent weeks or months and thought, oh, man, Eureka, this is good. Sometimes that happens. This is something that I have believed for, for decades. And it's one of the great secrets to life. Notice in your Bible in 1 Timothy chapter 6, notice in verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. We'll come back to that. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing, I have that marked in my Bible, we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can, and then I have this mark, carry nothing out. Coming in, I don't have anything. Going out, I don't have anything. Or say, in having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Verse 6, he talks about contentment. Verse 8, he talks about being content with the basics in life. Verse 9, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, that's the contrast to contentment. Covetousness is the opposite of contentment. People covet after money and pleasure, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, the Bible says in verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, this goes contrary to what most of us believe, uh, even in the church. We believe what uh, was being taught in verse 5 by preachers then, uh, thousands of years ago, and it's still being taught today in so-called churches and also on televisions and airwaves. Notice in verse 5, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds destitute of the truth. This is not based on the Word of God. Supposing, and here's their what they posit, what they believe, that gain is godliness. They don't think that contentment is godliness. They think that wealth is godliness, that health is godliness, that benefits are godliness, that gain is godliness. And here's what Paul tells Timothy as a young preacher and Timothy is to preach to his congregation. He says, from such, from people that preach those type of things, withdraw yourself. When they have a health, wealth, and get rich gospel, which is not a gospel, but I'll use that expression. He says, you, you don't need to listen to them. Don't expose yourself to them because it's not biblical. You, you try that narrative with, with Jesus and his life and the cross. It doesn't fit. Before there's a crown... There's always a cross. There is a crown. But there, there, there are always scars along the way. So here's the truth. The truth is not in verse 5 that gain is godliness. We believe and have been taught in our flesh beliefs that if we have a lot of things, that, that we have God's favor on us, that the more we have, the more godly we are. Well, God, why is this happening to me? I thought you loved me. I've been going to church, and you won't do this for me. I thought you loved me. I want to do right, and you're not helping me. You're not healing me. You're not giving me this new car. You're not giving me this thing that I want. You're not giving me uh, a husband to marry, a wife to marry. You're not giving me a child. You're not giving me what I want. Supposing that gain is godliness, that's what we think. I think that sometimes. That's what my flesh believes. The Bible says that's destitute of the truth. That's, that's not biblical thinking. What is the truth? Look at verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Here's the truth. Is that a godly person is a contented person. Now I gave you the definition of, God, or, or, or of contentment. A couple of weeks ago. Let me give it to you now. A person that is content 
The word content means to have enough. Now, it doesn't mean to have a lot. It means I have enough. It means to be sufficient and satisfied. It means to have all that I need. It includes the idea of being free from murmuring and complaining. That I'm not complaining about what I don't have, but I'm grateful for what I do have. I'm free from comparing my state in life with other people. Well, if I could just live there, if I could have this. uh, Because when you do that, you're, you're not content. You're discontent. You're coveting. I want what they have. I want to be married. I wish I had parents like that. I wish my spouse was like that. I wish I lived there. I wish I could do that. You begin to complain. You begin disgruntled. Contentment is when your mind is satisfied with its lot. You're satisfied with your lot in life. Now, if, if you are just, if you're settling in on what I just gave you as a definition, you can understand why that is godliness. Because that's difficult. Because my flesh drifts toward verse 5. I believe that gain is godliness. I, I don't want to settle in with, 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 Lord, I have enough. I want a lot. And God says, no, I'm enough. With food and raiment, be content. I'll take care of you. I'm enough. I'm not just necessary. I'm enough. The real gain in life is to have a contented mind. Godliness is not about accumulating things. It's being contented with the things that you already have. You see, sometimes we, we can't be grateful for what we have because we keep looking at what we don't have. That's one of the reasons. And, and when I say this, I'm not rebuking anybody. It's just me. I don't like to go shopping. If I don't have money, I don't go shopping. I don't get on the Internet because it, it makes me discontent. It, it makes me covet things. Um, you know, well, I wish I could have that. I can't. I can't do that and so forth. And so I, I want to know, okay, God, this, this is what you have given to me. And, and I'm grateful for it. The opposite of contentment is coveting. The opposite of contentment is discontentment. Coveting brings discontentment. I'm not satisfied. I compare my lot with other people. I begin to murmur. I begin to complain. I become negative. Notice in your Bible in verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Sometimes that verse is misquoted and it says money is the root of all evil. That's not what it says. It's not money that's the problem. It's wanting money. The love of money. You know, you can, you can be poor and be covetous because you, you love money. Now, we look at rich people and say, say that, well, look at them. They, they just love money. You know, when you say that, you're saying that you love money. Did you know if you, love, if, if you live in America that you're rich? I don't care who you are. The poorest person in America, compared to the rest of the world, is rich. It it just depends upon your perspective. Notice in verse 9, he says, But they that, watch this, they that will be rich, I will be rich. I've known people that have said, I will be a millionaire by the time that I'm 30. I will be. And some people are. And I'm going to work 70, 80, 90, 100 hours a week. And my, my family, I'll put my family aside, but I'll be able to buy them things. Now, my son will be 10 years old, but I'll be able to do things for him then. I, I've been in situations with people like this, literally, and the ruin and their lives. They that will be rich. Money becomes the objective rather than the means to an end. Money is a tool. Covetousness destroys contentment. The word covet means to desire what another person has. 
to the point where it just occupies your mind. That's all you think about. Man, I've got to have that. I've got to have that dress. Uh, we just got to have that Christmas tree this year. <laughs> I've got to have that. And you begin to covet what, covet what other people have. It means the desire to, to grasp after mentally before you, you do that physically. What are some of the characteristics of a contented heart? I'll just mention the first one quickly because I gave it to you two weeks ago. First of all, a contented person is a rich person. A contented person is a rich person. You see, a rich person doesn't need anything else. He has all that he needs. And he may not realize it, but he does. And when you're contented, I have all that I need. And you're rich. Now, that's what the Bible says. Look at verse 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. But godliness with contentment, notice the phrase here, is great gain. Godliness with contentment is not just gain. It's great gain. It's great wealth. You show me a contented man, a contented woman, a contented teenager, they're, they're wealthy. Now, their car may not be new. They may not live in the nicest neighborhood. But they're wealthy because they're free from ulcers. They're free from worry. They're, they're free from fear. They're free from comparing themselves with other people. They're wealthy. A contented man, a contented woman, a contented teenager is a rich person. A rich person. Benjamin Franklin said this. He said, to the discontented man, no chair is easy. It doesn't matter if you have a content, if you have a great place in life, you're going to be dissatisfied if you're discontented. Someone said, money is like seawater. The more you drink, the thirstier you get. It's not going to satisfy you. In fact, it creates new appetites. You just want more. I hope you young people, now the older people know this, and even though we know it, we have to watch ourselves because it's true. But but you need to get this, and you you need to learn this, and I'll show you a scripture that validates that in a moment. But listen, if you set your heart on making money, it only increases your appetite for more. And while you're reaching those new levels of income, what happens is you... You neglect people. You neglect your time with the Lord. I've taught you through the years that life is about relationships. It's about your relationship with the Lord. It's about your relationship with God. And when you neglect those relationships, walking with God and walking with people, and you trade that for a mess of pottage so you can have stuff and you can have something shiny, you have lost it. One day you're going to get old. And the people that you walk through life with and the people that love you and that you love, that's, what's, that's what makes life rich. Many years ago, uh, Sid Breen stood here in her pulpit to play for the Braves. And he, he talked about this, how that uh, his wife, uh, he told her, he said, my my goal is to make a million dollars in the major leagues. And he said, and I did. And this is what he did. I'll never forget. He said, I made my first million. And then I signed my next contract and it got higher. I made more money. And then I signed my next contract and I made more money, more millions. And he said, and I kept making more money. And he kept doing this. And Sid said, though I was a Christian, I was never, I was never satisfied. He said, after, after we won the World Series, he said, we came back to Atlanta because when we won the series, we were away. We weren't at home. And so we came back, and we were cleaning out our lockers to, to go home for the winter, W-I-N-T-E-R. And he said, Tom Glavin was there, and he knew Sid was a Christian and came up to him. And they just won the World Series the day before, the night before. And Tom Glavin said, uh, remember, these, 
This is the apex. This is the mountain. He said, Sid, is this it? I mean, is this it? This is all there is? In other words, the idea was, is this, is this all the feeling you get from this? We're World Series champions. We're going to get a ring. We got the bonus money. But I thought it would be, I thought it would be more. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, watch this. He that loveth silver. Now watch this. It doesn't say he that has silver. Now pay attention to that. Because sometimes we think, oh, all those rich people, they're, they're just coveting people. No, 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 no. Abraham was a wealthy man. David was a wealthy man. Job was a wealthy man. You can be a godly person and have money. It's not, it's not the money. It's your attitude towards money. He that loves silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. I want to build onto my house. And by the way, these aren't wrong things, okay? But I want more cars, more boats, a bigger house. I want more stuff. I want you to have more friends. Won't you increase your time alone with the Lord? Won't you, you do more things for people? Won't you serve the Lord more? Rather than, than build your life around a small orbit around you. Loveth abundance with increase. This is vanity. It's empty. That's what the word means. used often in Ecclesiastes. It's empty. There's nothing there. When goods increase... Stuff, they, the people that have them, are increased that eat them. That's what I just taught you. It just increased your appetite. I want more. That wasn't enough. And, it, and it's what Proverbs, you're chasing, or, or Ecclesiastes teach, you're chasing the wind. You never catch it. What good is there to the owners thereof, saving or except the beholding of them with their eyes? A lot to teach here. I don't have time to get into it. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he little or much. See, see, the the key is in your work. It's in what you do, not not what you're pursuing. But the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. The more you have, the less you can sleep. You know, when you get promoted in a job. You have more responsibilities. Paula has responsibilities at work, and we were away, and she's, oh, this person can't show up. She's on her phone trying to get substitutes, and, okay, this person can't do this. And, uh, you know, things happen at church sometimes, and I'm sending a couple emails out covering things. I'm not complaining about this. This is just a reality. That's what the Bible there teaches the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. Well, if I just had more, I'd be happy. Oh, really? So many scriptures validate this. Warren Wiersbe said you can buy sleep, but you can't buy rest. And sometimes you can't buy sleep. A contented person is a rich person. Number two, a contented person is a happy person. A contented person is a happy person. Coveting robs us of our joy. Because when I see something that I want and I don't get what I want, it makes me unhappy. And we wrong, listen, we wrongly assume that if I achieve all of my goals, if I get what I want, if my bank account is full, if my body is healthy and strong, then I will be a happy person. That's, that is an empty pursuit. As Solomon said, it's vanity. That's not true. I talked to you about Johnny Erickson a while ago. Her body's been broken. She's 69 years old now. So that'd be 52 years. For 52 years, she's been in a wheelchair. And she's learned about the joy of Christ. Now she's been she's battling cancer. I'm sure her immune system is shot. She needs our prayers. She's a precious, precious, godly lady. She's a content lady. She's a happy lady. And today you will walk out here, get in your car, 
and go to a restaurant, walk in your home, and you won't think about it. And I won't think about it because we're used to walking. It's just what we do. But she can't do that. I told Paula a while back, one of the, the challenges that I have with, with my illness is, is energy. I hate to share this, but it's apropos here. And uh, I said, you know, Paul, I said, when you have energy, you don't think about it. You just have it. And then it dissipates. And then you'll take a nap or you'll go to bed and you'll get up, maybe a little bit tired, you drink some coffee or whatever. And you'll get enough energy to go. But I said, when you do not have energy, you, you, and you want it, and it's not there. It does something to you psychologically. Because I still remember what it was like. And I, I want to do that. But I, I can't. I can't do that. Do you have energy this morning? Uh, do you, are you able to, to generate things? You ought to thank God for that. Now, you know what? Other people that don't, they have plenty on their plate for which they can thank God. I love what Dave Ramsey says when people ask him, say, well, well, how are you doing? He says, I'm better than I deserve. I love that response. Well, that's the truth. All of us, we're better than we deserve. I have a full plate. God's been very kind to me. He's been very merciful to me. My plate is full. I cannot focus on, 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 on a couple of little things that maybe I wish were, were better and covet after those things. Well, my life is rich. I have a good God. I have good friends. I have a good family. God has blessed me. Two years ago, actually two, almost three years ago, in January 2016, Time Magazine ran an article on how winning the lottery makes you miserable. And uh, a couple of sentences from that article Here's what the writer said. So many of the winners wind up unhappy or they wind up broke. People have had terrible things happen. People commit suicide. People run through their money, easy come, easy go. It's the curse of the lottery because it made their lives worse instead of improving them. You hear that? It made their lives worse instead of improving them. But on on this side of the equation, they said... Hey, boy, when I, when I get that, it's going to make my life better. I mean, how many of us have said, boy, if I win the lottery, if I win the lottery, what I would do with it? No, you're going to have that third cousin calling you. And you're going to have to, all those people you went to school with, hey, listen, my, 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 my son needs braces. I know you got some extra cash there. Can't you cut me a check? And you're either going to have to move or change all your numbers and become secluded. There's, there's a whole lot of stuff that you don't think about there. And then he goes on and he says, 70% of people who suddenly receive a windfall of cash lose it within a few years, according to the National Endowment for Financial Education. The book of Ecclesiastes is 30, 30, I'm sorry, 12 chapters. And those 12 chapters, 37 times, the word vanity, singular, or vanities, plural, is used 37 times. As I said, it means empty. There's nothing there. Here, here is the man that had everything. He was the richest man in the world. He had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of beautiful women. He was an immoral man. And, and he said, life is vain. And at the end of the chapter, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, he said that life is about relationships. It's about relating to God. And it's about serving God. That's what it's about. It's not about this stuff. It's not about my palace. It's not about sensuality. It's not about possessions. He said, that's vanity. In fact, he uses it. Sometimes he'll repetitively vanity of vanities like a double emphasis vanity of vanities double emptiness he says I want you to get this listen contentment will make you 
happy. Things won't make you happy. When you drive off that car lot with a new car, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying you should never do that. Don't take it that way, but here's what I'm saying. The new car smell is going to go away. It's going to get scratched. And the first time it gets scratched, you're going to get upset about it. Now, if you bought something else, you probably wouldn't get as upset about it. But because you had your heart set on it, and there's a possessiveness there, and your heart, God's saying, that's your idol. You love that more than you love me. And God will take your idols, what you put before Him, and sometimes He will allow things to happen to them, to remove them, to set your eyes upon Him. Someone said, I love this quote. They didn't say that. I said that. They didn't say, I love this quote. I said that. Someone said this. They said, happiness isn't having what you want. It's wanting what you have. Happiness isn't having what you want. It's wanting what you have. I'm talking to some people this morning. You're not happy. You're not happy. You just passed Thanksgiving and Christmas is coming up and there's just this, there's something inside of you. You say, boy, Rick, I thought it would be better. I don't know what it is. I'll tell you what it is. Discontentment. Discontentment at the root of it is greed and covetousness. You're comparing yourselves among yourselves, which is not wise. There's no joy. You can't just look at the world that God has given to you and say, God, thank you for this. Because the only thing, if I can use the expression thing, the only thing that will make you happy is knowing Christ and knowing God personally and walking with him. Only God can bring you contentment. Only the Lord can do that. Covetousness leads to discontentment. When I covet things, I become discontented. When I become discontented, I lose my happiness. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Let your conversation, your lifestyle, including your words, be without covetousness. This is so simple. Don't be a covetous person. But be content, watch this, with such things as you have. Now, some of you say, hey, time out. And you're looking over at your, your spouse right now. With him? Yeah. You're looking at your parents. With them? Yeah. You're thinking about your kids. Yeah, them. You mean that the house where the, the commode is messed up? Yeah. Yeah. And you had to fix stuff, and they need to grow, and I need to grow, and you need to grow. But con- contentment is rooted in God working at people and what God has given to you. Be content with such things as you have. Watch this. For God has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. It's the presence of God in your life. God says, I will make you content. I have promised I will walk through this with you. I'm your provider. I will give you strength when you're weak. Rick, when you don't have energy, I'll help you. When you feel like you want to do more and you can't, then then I'll, I'll give you peace. I'm with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Cars get old. Houses break down. Your body's going to change. Whatever you build your security around, if it can change, you will become insecure. But God never changes. The Word of God never changes. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And when, when, you, when you center your life on God, there's a contentment, there's a peace. Augustine said this. He said, God, you made us for yourself and our hearts are restless. Till they find their rest in you. My heart is restless till I find its rest in God. Contentment is being satisfied with whatever, listen, with whatever I have in the present. Whatever I have in the present. Whenever I get my eyes off of what I have and what I don't have, 
I become unhappy. Maybe this morning you're unhappy. I said that content people are happy people. Maybe this morning you're unhappy because your eyes aren't on what God has given to you and the sweetness of it. And you're looking at the things that you do not have. And those have become an idol to you. And rather than thinking about the Lord and thinking about the blessings of God, you're consumed with those things. Uh, Probably 22 years ago, I was preaching up in Athens, Tennessee, just uh, north of Chattanooga, between Knoxville and Chattanooga. At a little church. And the pastor was a really sweet man. And he uh, he drove a school bus uh, during the week uh, for the school system to provide for his insurance. And so uh, one night at the, at the meeting, I preached on contentment. So the next day, I had uh, my uh, three boys with me. Uh, Jeremiah, John, and Jordan. Jake wasn't on the trip. And then we uh, went out to eat. And uh, he said, uh, Pastor said, Brother Rick, he said, you preached about contentment last night. And he said, uh, I purposed in my heart to give something to the Lord. And he said, I, I, I knew you drove the school bus. He told me about it. But he said, after we eat, I want to show you something. That every Every day on my route, Monday through Friday, when I pick these kids up and I take them home, there's a beautiful home up on a hill. And he took me by that home. And he said, see that house? And it was, it was way off on a hill. And it was a beautiful home. And he said, every, every time I look up at that house, I said, I wish I had that house. Lord, I'd love to have that house. And he said, I, I gave the house to God. And I began to thank God for the house that God has given me and my wife and my children. He said, I've just been coveting after the house. He said, you know, the odds are I'm never going to live in that house or even one like it. But I was so disgruntled with the blessings of God. He said, you said something last night that, that got me thinking. And he said, it was this statement. He said, you said, said, have you ever thought that the house that you live in, that people drive by and they say, I wish I could live in that house. The one that you want to get out of, the one that you're miserable in, that people say, I wish I could live there. And the house that you look at and that you want to live in, that those people say, I'd like to get out of here. There's another house I'd like to live in. Life is just a state of discontentment until you find your contentment in Christ. The same thing's true with our vehicles, with, with, with everything in life. It's true in marriage. You get discontent with your spouse. You get discontent with your job. Some people would love to have your job. And the job that you want, some people want out of that job. Some of you are are miserable. You're just unhappy. And you make other people that are around you happy because you've never come to the place where you're content with the things that God has given to you. I read a story about an airplane pilot that was flying over a little valley in the Appalachian Mountains. And uh, he, it was a regular route for him. And he was looking, he, every time he would come over intently, he would look down there. And the co-pilot that would ride with him on a consistent basis noticed him doing that. One day he said, you know, I, I notice when we come over this spot that you look down in that valley every time. He said, what are you looking at? And the pilot said, well, you see that, see that little body of water down there, the stream? He said, yes. He said, when I was a, a little boy, I used to sit there on the log and I would fish. And he said, the, the planes, this was the route they would always fly. And he said, I, I would sit there on that log. And he said, I, I would look up and I would see the planes fly over. And I would say, one day I'm going to be a pilot. And I always wanted to be a pilot. And he said, now I want to fish. Years ago, we, we broke our, our record, our attendance record at our church. And uh, I went home on Sunday afternoon. And I sat there. Brother Charlie came to me and gave me the numbers, uh, 290, 310. I can't remember what it was. 
And uh, I remember thinking that I don't feel any different than I did last month. I thought it would feel different. I didn't feel any different at all. I'm the same person. We have the same people. And I remember thinking how how vain, listen carefully. Now, you, you need to reach as many people as you can, but I remember how vain it is to get your significance from size as opposed to investing into people. Charles Spurgeon said, it is not how much we have, but how much we enjoy that makes happiness. True gain isn't dependent upon how much you have, but how much you want. The Bible says in Psalm 107 and verse 9, For he satisfieth the longing soul. This is what God does. He satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. This is what God does. Is your soul longing? Only God can satisfy that. Is your soul hungry? Only God can fill it with his goodness. Stuff can't do that. No Christmas gift. No birthday gift. Nothing can do that. Except the Lord. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 2. God rebuked the nation of Israel and he rebukes us with the same idea. Wherefore, do you spend money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which satisfieth not. Hearken, hearken, hearken diligently unto me. And eat ye that which is good. And let your soul delight itself with fatness. Have you tasted the sweetness of Christ? You'll never be happy until you delight in him. You'll never be content until you know him. You'll never be joyful. Not in the things. I read a story this week about a, a rich industrialist who was very disturbed, a very successful man, a wealthy man. He came upon a fisherman, and he was sitting lazily beside his boat, the dock. And he asked him, he said, why aren't you out there fishing? The fisherman said, well, I've caught enough fish for the day. So why don't you go catch more fish? He said, well, what would I do with them? He said, well, you could, you could earn more money. Then you could buy a better boat. And then you could go out deeper and you could catch more fish. You could buy better nets and you could catch even more fish and make more money. Soon you'd have a fleet of boats and you could be rich like me. The fisherman looked up at him. He said, well, then what would I do? He said, well, you could sit down and enjoy life. He said, what do you think I'm doing now? You see, contented people think differently than driven people. A contented person is a rich person. A contented person is a happy person. And thirdly, and finally, number three, a contented person is a grateful person. A grateful person. Discontentment and ingratitude are twins. You showed me a person that's ungrateful. I'll show you a person that is discontented. Because you cannot appreciate the present and what God has given to you because you're focusing on what you don't have. You're, you're, missing, you're missing the beautiful years of your children now. Because, boy, I can't wait till they're able to get out of these diapers. I can't wait till they'll be able to drive and I don't have to drive them everywhere. I can't wait until. Or in your marriage. I, I can't wait until we're out of this house. I can't wait until. And you're missing the beauty of the present. When we're ungrateful, we don't appreciate the present, but we focus on what we do not have. Ingratitude shows our boredom with the blessings of God and we think we deserve better. Bob Jones Sr. said, when gratitude dies on the altar of a man's heart, that man is well nigh hopeless. And gratitude is destructive. It will destroy you. And it's related to discontentment. Let me give you a couple of ideas here. Ingratitude destroys your prayer life. 
See, God has not only asked you to bring your request to him, he wants you to bring your praise to him, your gratitude to him. Psalm 100 in verse 4 instructs us to enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him. Bless his name. What do you thank the Lord for when you pray to him? Or is it just always, God, I need, I want, I must have? God, thank you for this. Thank you for my eyesight. Thank you for my health. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for the ability to talk. Thank you for life. Thank you for today. Thank you for calling me to a ministry. Thank you, Lord. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in the chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and he prayed and he gave thanks. He prayed and he gave thanks before his God. Lack of thanks in prayer means that you have a covetous heart. God, I want this. I need this. I want this. Ingratitude destroys your ability to relate to people. Ungrateful people, covetous people, discontent people do not relate well to people because they always have an agenda. I need something from you. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15 was written in context of the body of Christ. Tells us two qualities that are important in relating to people. Colossians 3.15. But the peace of God. You need to be at peace with yourself. Relating to others. Peace with God. Rule in your hearts. To the which also you're called into one body. And watch this. And. And be ye thankful. A discontented person will wreck whatever environment they're in. At work, in the home, in a church. Because they're not contented. They have an agenda. They're not thankful. They're not thankful for the present. Shakespeare said this. He said, how sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child. They have an agenda. It's one thing to be two, three years old, four years old. But when you're 14, 16, 24, 34 and there's no gratitude in your heart for the sacrifices of your parents. My son was sought out by a ministry to, to work with them. And uh, he considered it for a while and he sought my advice on it. And he said, Dad, I, I don't think I'm going to go there. And I said, well, why is that? And he said, well, the leader, here's what he said. He said, Dad, the leader of the ministry does not know how to celebrate victories. So he explained that to me. He said, well, they, they achieve a project, they go to the next project. You achieve a project, you go to the next project. He said, there's no joy in the journey. It's all about the destination. And I'm telling you, a person like that is no fun. Now, you may be a man like that. You may be a teenager. It's no fun. There's got to be joy in the journey, not just in the destination. And he didn't go. And that was the will of God for both of them. But I feel sorry for working with anybody like that. I feel sorry for being married to somebody like that. Ingratitude destroys your ability to relate with people. It's destructive to relationships. And that's related to discontentment. And then thirdly, ingratitude destroys your conscience. You know, one of the first steps to reprobation is the idea that you're not, you're not thinking. You're not thinking of God. You're just orbiting around your own thoughts. Romans chapter 1 and verse 1. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened. Notice, they were not thankful people. They lost it. They were vain in their imaginations. Everything was around themselves. They weren't thankful towards God. They felt like God owed them. 
It's a dangerous thing to lose your gratitude because you get to the place where you can't connect with God. Discontentment is ultimately against God, the root of complaining. The Old Testament over and over again says, Give thanks unto the Lord, give thanks unto the Lord, give thanks unto the Lord. I ask you a question. In your thinking, maybe not your words, because your words are a result of your thoughts. But in your thinking, do your thoughts tend to be more complaining or thought or, or thankful? I mean, are you comparative in your thinking? Oh, I wish I had that. Wish I could go there. Wish I, wish I lived there. I wish I, wish I. Or God, thank you for them. Thank you for Paula. God bless Jeremiah. That was kind of them. Because your thoughts will determine your actions. And you'll become critical. You'll become negative. Be thankful unto the Lord. Be thankful unto the Lord. Give thanks unto the Lord. Don't be a complainer. God is seeking people with a grateful and a contented heart. Sad story in World War II. George Patton would take men, and not only him, but the other guys, other generals also. They would send them away to rest camps after they'd been on the front lines for a while to restore their bodies and their minds a little bit. One of the soldiers went to one of those little camps, returned his outfit. And he wrote a letter to George Patton, and he thanked him for the care that he received at the rest camp. Patton received the letter. He wrote back and he told the soldier. He said, I've been doing this for 35 years. and have sought to provide all the care and comfort for my men. And this is the first letter of thanks I have received in all of my years in the Army. When I graduated from high school, I went to college, Bible college, and one day I was sitting there in September of 1976 and I was thinking about the people that had helped me and I thought about my, my football coaches and I uh, wrote them each a personal letter of thanks. We had one coach who was a crusty guy and even somebody told me about a month ago, he had asked me, he said, there's another coach in the city, he said, hey, have you seen this? And he mentioned this coach and I said, no. He said, well, you know, he said, he said, you know, he doesn't get along with anybody. He said, no, I haven't seen him in years. He said, well, I haven't either. He said, he's just hard to get in touch with. And, and my thinking was, well, personally, I understand. You know, back then he was a tough nut, a crusty guy. But I wrote a note to all my coaches, including him. So what are some things I learned from him? I thought, well, he... Uh, Learn discipline. I made a little note. A good thank you note. So you just don't sit down and start writing the note. Those are very poor. Okay? It takes you time to write a good note. So I made some bullet points. I learned some discipline. Um, he taught me how to sacrifice. Some of the things I'm, I'm doing now in school, I'll use some of those things that he taught me. I made a list of things that he taught, taught me. And then I incorporated those ideas into the note. And then I wrote the note and I... Sent to the school and care of the school. I forgot about it. I sent all my coaches and, and many of my teachers. And uh, his wife also taught at our school. And she came up in the office one day. And both of them, the coach and his wife, knew my mom. And she said, my mom told me this later. She said, hey, um, my husband got a letter from Rick. And my, I didn't tell my mom about it. She said he did. She said, "Yeah, it was a, it was a thank you note for how he had helped him." And here, here's what he said. He said, "He said it was the first time he'd ever received a thank you note from a player." Now, when I say that, I'm not adjusting my halo. I promise I'm not. I'm just saying. I wonder how many people in your world, your boss, other people, that you have learned some things. Maybe they're crusty, but they they poured into your life. They've helped you. 
And the Bible says in Colossians 3.15, you have called, you've been called to be thankful. But if you're a discontent person and you're just going to focus on their flaws, then you're not going to do that because they don't deserve that. Jesus healed 10 Samaritans in Luke chapter 17. In Luke 17, 16, the Bible says that, and fell down on his face at his feet, one of them, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed? Watch this. But where are the nine? Where are the nine? I thought I helped ten. Where, where's the, where are the other guys? There's just one. I helped ten. There's just one. Now this recorded in the Word of God for us. God is looking for people with contented hearts. See, contentment will make you a grateful person for what you have. A godly man is a contented man. I read a parable this week. Some of you may have read the book, but I close with this. It told a story about an ancient Persian farmer who owned a very large farm. that had orchards, grain fields, and gardens. The farmer was very wealthy and also a very content man. One day he entertained a guest who told him about diamonds and how wealthy he could be if he owned a diamond mine. The farmer went to bed that night, a poor man. He was poor because he was discontented. Craving a mind of diamonds, he sold his farm to search for the rare stones and traveled the world over, becoming so poor, broken, and defeated that he committed suicide. One day, the man who purchased the man's farm led his camel into the garden to drink. As the camel put his nose into the brook, the man saw a flash of light from the stream. And he pulled out a stone that reflected wonderful hues of light. And there he discovered a mine, a diamond mine, one of the greatest diamond mines in all of history. And here's the point. Had the farmer remained at home and dug in his own garden, he would have acres of diamonds instead of death in a strange land. I'm telling you where you're at right now, you've got a lot. You've got a lot. Contentment is found in the Lord Jesus. Do you know him? Do you need to repent of coveting? Are you content with the present which God has allowed into your life? The blessings, the trials, and your possessions. I you to bow your heads with me at this time. wonder if there's someone here this morning and say, Preacher, I, I don't know for sure if I'm saved. I don't know Christ. Maybe you are a Christian, but you haven't been walking with Him. You've been neglecting the Lord. You don't know the sweetness of Christ. You've, you've been putting things and possessions and coveting. Before Christ. This morning would you put Christ on his throne? Would you draw near to him? Would you repent of covetous this morning? I'm going to pray. We're going to have a time of response. Maybe you just need to come to an old fashioned altar. An altar is a symbol of death. And say God I'm going to die. To this matter of comparison. Die to this matter of coveting. And I'm going to ask God to give me a heart of contentment like the Lord Jesus had. Father, I pray as we leave in a few moments, as we respond to this message of the gospel, 
that is rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for those that are here this morning that need to be saved, that have never been born again. Maybe some that are church members. They know all about Christ, but they've never trusted Christ personally. They're seeking satisfaction in areas that they'll never find it, in a job, in a relationship, in money. I pray that they would be born again, or Lord, if they are saved, that they would make that surrender and find that in you. Help us to repent of covetousness, of greed. Lord, make us content people. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Would you stand quietly, please? Leslie's going to play something softly on the piano. Brother Daniel, would you come down front here? Someone wants to talk or pray. You need to come forward. Just come and, and pray. There's a place for you here at the altar. and just Talk to God about it.